Amen. Don't you love to see children sing for the Lord? And uh, what a blessing. Appreciate those that work with the children. And uh, that's a great song. That's one of those. Uh, you ever get one of those songs stuck in your head? That's a good one right there to get stuck in your head. Choose right. And, you know, it's easy to serve God and live for God when you're on top of the mountain. It's a totally different thing when you're down in the valley. But he's the God of the mountain and the God of the valley. And he's promised to be with us always, even to the end of the world. And so uh, before we get started tonight, I just wanted to make a few comments. Uh, one, I know that sometimes we, uh, some of you are here for a 9 o'clock service in the morning. Some of you are here at the 1030 service. And so sometimes uh, folks miss things that might happen in one or the other. And that's one of the uh, difficult things, I guess you'd say, about that, but we had, uh, God certainly has been blessing and working, and in the 1030 service, we had uh, we had a, a dear couple and a, a dear lady that joined our church this morning, so right back here, if you were not in the 1030 service, David, raise your hand there, and your wife, Norris, and then this is Neria, and so these uh, wonderful folks have been attending our church, and they are now officially members so if you didn't get a chance to uh, greet them or say, hey, we're glad you're a part of our church, make sure you get an opportunity to welcome them, and uh, it's a blessing to have them part of it. And, and listen, don't take for granted when God is working and uh, people uh, uniting with our church. Uh, as Brother Kenny said, what a blessing after church. I heard that uh, four young, uh, young lives, when, when children get saved, God gets a whole life. And what a blessing that is. I appreciate the Chadwicks and, and just sharing the scriptures and the gospel with boys and girls. And uh, we don't pressure boys and girls to make decisions. And this is something that they uh, wanted to do. God had put that on their heart to do. I also wanted to say, and of course, two of those that got saved were Luke's uh, daughter and son right here. And, uh, and so we thank God for that. And, uh, and then Luke told me after the service this morning that uh, Renee and uh, Juan came over to his house on Thursday. And, of course, Luke grew up in a Christian home. But, you know, like many of us, from time to time, we get away from the Lord or whatever. And Luke said, I, th I thought I was sure, but I wasn't 100% sure. And he settled that on Thursday, trusted Christ as his Savior. And so <laughs> praise the Lord for that. And uh, I didn't even know that and I, when I heard about his son and daughter, and I said, listen, we'd like to talk with them about getting baptized, and Luke said, can we all get baptized together? And I said, well, wait a minute, let me talk to you about that a little bit, and that's when I found out that he had gotten saved on Thursday. Two of our men just uh, went over and visited with him, and of course, I guess they got to talking. And, you know, listen, I'll tell you what, I'd rather be 100% sure than to miss heaven because I had that 1% or less than 1% assurance of my salvation. We thank God for that. Listen, if this doesn't excite you, in the last two weeks, we've had 11 people trust Christ as their Savior. What a, what a blessing. Some of those are out as we've gone out in the community. Some of those are right here, Luke in his home and others. And uh, what a blessing it is to hear people getting saved, and I thank the Lord for that. So I wanted to share those uh, really blessings from the Lord. And so take your Bibles tonight. We're going to be kind of all over the place when it comes to scriptures. And hopefully you grabbed one of the outlines tonight. Has anybody made it in here tonight, did not get an outline? Raise your hand. We want to make sure because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cover some things and go through some things quickly. Uh, I, I really, I, I'm not a prophet but um, I, I really want to say that that game is probably not going to be a game. The game, the football game tonight, it's probably not going to be a game. Uh, the, the Super Bowl rarely is a good game. And, uh, and so, you know, now I might be surprised. And you can call me and say, Pastor, you were wrong. <laughs> but I'll tell you this, the most important thing is what we're about to look at. And I hope that uh, you are ready to receive something from the Lord tonight. And God's put this series that kind of goes along with our theme for the year, Stand, and uh, tonight, Stand for Truth, and we want to talk about how change begins. Now, you know, look, there's no doubt, I mean, we live in a world that is constantly changing. We are getting older, you can't deny that, and so some change is inevitable, 
But when we think about Christianity and our beliefs, that's what we're talking about tonight. Somebody said change begins with attitudes, not with actions, with attitudes, you know, and we need to be careful about our attitudes. The Bible says in Proverbs 23, verse 7, for as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Out of the heart comes the issues of life. Jeremiah the prophet that wrote also the small book, the book of Lamentations, said in chapter 3 and verse 51, Mine eye affecteth mine heart. So oftentimes the things that we look at, that's one of those powerful gates that we have is our eye gate. Uh, what we look at and what goes in through our vision goes into our minds, eventually will settle in our hearts. We need to be careful about all this because I don't know about you, but just like what we were talking about a minute ago about people getting saved, if you've been saved for any length of time, then I'm sure that you probably have a burden for someone that you know, and it's definitely a burden for this world that we live in. And in the Old Testament, the Bible talks about uh, the children of Issachar, and it mentions this about the children of Issachar, and I think it's pertinent to us today is this, that just like them, we need to have an understanding of the times that we are living in. Now, again, a lot has changed. Uh, sometimes I talk to folks like Brother Carl, Brother Bill, and maybe some that have lived a little longer than I have, and we talk about sometimes all the changes that we've seen in our life. And we talk about some of the changes that have happened even among Christians. And it's important that we understand or have an understanding of the times because when you look at what we call current trends today, you can easily compare those to uh, previous times in our nation, in our world, even in the Word of God. So tonight, we're going to take an important look at the Bible about the times that are changing, all right? And it begins with what I'm going to call a fearful prediction, a fearful prediction. Now, again, we have the Bible, and then we have what we call history. Now, if it's true history, then if you look at the word, history is really his story. And as we think about this, isn't it sad how the world today is wanting to rewrite or change history? They want to wipe certain things out. They're pulling monuments and statues and all these, uh, wanting to be politically correct and wanting to not be offensive. Well, listen, I don't want to be offensive either, but history is history. It's a part of our lives, and it's sad because children today, maybe your children are growing up in a school uh, educational system that is removing things that your children should have knowledge of, especially about America. Well, you know they're doing the same thing when it comes to Bible Christianity. They want to take things out of the Bible. Uh, they want to throw things in the trash can. They want to slice and dice the Word of God. And we need to understand the importance of history because here's one thing that I know from history and even from the Bible is true that History shows that Christians rarely stay true to their founding principles with the same fervor uh, that, that, that for maybe four, uh, for more than a generation or two. So again, there are principles, biblical principles that we are guided by, and as you go from one generation to the next, uh, listen, some of the older generation that is still uh, alive today, they have, they have fought for some of the principles that they hold so dear, but the generations coming up behind them, and I'm not faulting them, but they haven't fought for anything. Uh, they're just giving way. They don't understand the importance of understanding the times. I really believe that America, as somebody said, is like a runaway train it's heading down the wrong tracks. Today, I think we see that what is abnormal is normal. What we see in America today, the abhorrent is what is acceptable today. What God calls an abomination in His Word 
is really nothing more in society today than an alternate lifestyle. They just change the the wording, the verbiage. But look, I really believe it boils down to this. America has forgotten her godly foundation. We certainly have. And we don't have to believe, listen, we don't have to believe that everything changes. We don't have to believe that. Now, here's a few things that might pique your interest as a Christian today. Number one, or letter A there, God's makeup doesn't change. Talking about who God is. Uh, Malachi said, for I am the Lord, I change not. The book of Hebrews chapter 13, Jesus Christ the same yesterday and today and forever. Aren't you glad? Look, the world might change, but God is still the same. He's the same God that Moses knew. He's the same God that Joshua knew. And the Bible says there in verse 9 of Hebrews 13 that you and I, because we have a God that does not change, we should not be carried about with divers and strange doctrines for it is a good thing, the Bible says, that the heart be established with grace. In other words, know what you believe and sink your anchor deep in the ground and do not change. Why? Because God doesn't change. God's word doesn't change. Therefore, we should not change. Are you with me tonight? Now listen, as we think about this, the psalmist said in Psalm 102, of old hast thou laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of thy hands. They, talking about the earth, they shall perish, but thou, God, shall endure. Yea, all of them shall wax old like a garment, as a vesture shalt thou change them, and they shall be changed, but thou art the same, and thy years shall have no end. That speaks of the eternality of our God. God does not change. Now look, the world we live in, I mean, it's, it's evident that everything man touches <laughs> changes. Uh, not for the better, for the worse. And so as you think about this, look, the God that we serve is an immutable God, meaning he does not change. He is a constant God and he is an eternal God. So God's makeup doesn't change. Does everybody believe that tonight? Now, not only that, but look at this. God's message doesn't change. The Bible says in Psalm 119, verse 89, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Forever. That's forever, folks. We need to understand verse 152 of the same song. The psalm, concerning thy testimonies, I have known of old that thou hast founded them forever. Same psalm, verse 160. Thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth for how long? Forever. All right? So look, God's message does not change. Isaiah said, The grass withereth and the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand for how long? Forever. Peter said, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth for how long? Forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word by which the gospel is preached unto you. Yes, we live in a changing world, but God's word, God's message remains the same. See, we, we think about this tonight. Look, understand, God is still the same. His makeup doesn't change. His message does not change. But it's sad tonight because the fearful prediction is God's men are changing. Many of them are changing. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3, evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving, and notice, and being deceived. Paul told Timothy, he says, look, it's going to happen, Timothy. It happened in Timothy's day. It happened 
in many days after that, and here it is, 2022, it is still happening today, so what are we to do? Are we to uh, go buy a, a, a cabin in the woods and hold up? Are we to stick our head in the sand and say, oh, woe is me, or what are we supposed to do? Well, Paul writes, and here's what we need to do, continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. See, today, there are prominent preachers from pulpits of so-called good churches that have twisted the Scriptures to excuse man's sinful behavior. It's an abomination in the eyes of God. Bible-believing Christians are dropping words like save. They've taken the name Baptist off of their church banner, their sign, their publications. Listen, I could name two or three prominent churches right here in Pembroke Pines within 10 miles or less of our church that used to be a Baptist church. The reason I say that is because, and by the way, I don't believe in the Baptist bride theory. I don't believe that only Baptists are going to be in heaven because I believe that anybody that puts their faith and trust in Christ is going to be in heaven someday. But I'll tell you this, when you say you're a Baptist, that's talking about your beliefs, your doctrine, your convictions. When somebody takes a name like that off their church, what they're saying is, we don't believe that, we don't affiliate with that, we don't associate with that, we no longer hold to that, we are changing. These churches that I'm talking about, many people have come to our church, and listen, we, we don't have all the answers and we haven't arrived, but when they get here, many times they'll say, listen, uh, they, they, they were not doing this and they don't open the Bible and they don't preach the Word of God. I personally, about two weeks ago, led a man to Christ that was attending one of those churches that used to preach a pure doctrine, uh, a gospel message, and I asked the man if he was saved, if he knew that heaven would be his home if this was his last day, and his answer to me was, I've been baptized. That's sad. Many prominent preachers today are waxing worse and worse and dropping words like fundamental. And the whole reason that they're dropping these and many other words is because they are saying that they don't want to offend the culture that, that hates God. Now just think about that. Maybe they need to be offended. I'm not talking about us being hateful and using hate speech. I'm talking about Jesus himself said that the truth, the word of God, would divide. Listen, people need to hear the truth. How else are they going to be saved? Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. People need to hear God's Word today. We do not need to soften our stand and our beliefs. Uh, listen, we, we do not need to blend in with others. The standard for the child of God is not the world. The standard for the Christian is God himself. See, it, look, if the standard for us is the world, then as the world moves, guess what? So we move. And if we move with the world, just like the prodigal who took what his father had given to him and he went off and he found himself with the hogs and he realized that it was much better with his father and he said, listen, I'll go back to my father and and I'll have more with my father than I would have out in this world. Listen, that, that prodigal, he was the one that had moved because as he made his way back, guess what? The father was still where he left him. And God hasn't moved. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. If anyone has moved, we have. You see, God's men and Christians today are changing. And sad, many don't realize how they are changing. Certainly, they do not realize the long-range effects of the changes that they're making. Nobody can see that far. But I've known whole movements 
that have decided to go with a different Bible, that have decided to do this, that have decided to disregard this doctrine only years down the road to say, we made a mistake. You see, the standard is what we're talking about. And this fearful prediction is absolutely true. Evil men and seducers are waxing worse and worse. So what do we need? Well, we need a fixed position. We've got to have a fixed position because this problem that that I'm talking about tonight is nothing new. It's a problem that's been here for a long time. And when I think about having a fixed position, notice what the writer of the book of Proverbs, the book of wisdom says in chapter 4, my son, notice to whom he's writing, my son attend unto my what? My words. Incline thine ear unto my sayings. Let not them let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of thine heart. Notice, in thy heart. For they, those words, are life unto those that find them and health to all their flesh. Keep thy heart with all diligence. For out of it, out of the heart, are the issues of life. Put away from thee a froward mouth and a perverse lips. Put far from thee. Let thine eyes look right on. Just like the children sang tonight. Let thine eyelids look straight before thee. Ponder the path of thy feet. Think about where you're walking and where you're going. Let thy ways be established. Turn not to the right hand nor to the left. Remove thy foot from evil. Listen, that's pretty good instruction right there. If we would just heed those words and we would live that out, somebody said your focus will determine your footsteps. I have found in as I'm getting a little bit older that my footing is not what it used to be. I've known people that have said to me, I have vertigo. You know, I don't have the balance that I used to have. And understand that Whatever we're focused on is going to determine the direction that we go. Whichever way you're leaning is the way you're going to fall. So tonight as we think about this, what came to my mind as I read those verses in Proverbs 4 was years ago when I was really just at the end of my teenage years and I hadn't really like a lot, you know, if you ask young people even today, well, what are you going to do when you graduate? Well, I don't know. Well, you know, you're going to get a job? Well, I don't know. You're going to go to college? I don't know. Well, what do you know? Well, I don't know. And I was the same way. I got a job. You know, I was not a lazy. I got a job. And and then I realized that this job that I'm working is a dead-end job. I thought to myself, I don't want to do this the rest of my life. And so then all of a sudden, like that prodigal, I, I thought to myself, you know, my dad's had a good job all his life. And my dad came home from work, and I said, hey, Dad, is your company hiring? My dad said, what? I said, I'm asking, are they hiring? He says, why? And I said, well, I'd like to get a job there. And he just looked at me like, son, you've never asked me about my work. But I realized that it had been a good living for my dad. So based on my dad's reputation and my dad's work ethic, they gave me a job. I went to work for, and I'll never forget, I never got lectured so much in my life as I did when I started working, not for my dad, but for that company my dad worked for, but it wasn't the company, it was my dad. I mean, every day, leaning over my shoulder, boy, make sure you do this, and if you don't do that, then you're going to fix whatever you mess up, and I thought to myself, okay, now I was taping drywall and the way you do it you put some compound on the wall and then you put some tape on the wall and you wipe the tape and 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 what happens is if you don't get the whole wall covered before you put the tape on that when the tape dries it and you put another coat over it it bubbles then you have to stop and dig out all those bubbles you know it wasn't long before I realized after digging out many of those bubbles that I was going to learn to listen to the instructions of my father. I wanted to do things the right way. And that's why people say that we must not only start right, but as the children were singing tonight, we need to stay right. You know, many people start right, 
but not a lot of people finish the race like Paul did. You know, I fought a good fight. I kept the faith. I finished the course. You know, sometimes we get weary, but the Bible says that let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season you shall reap if you faint not, right? And so we need to make sure that we stay right because trouble will come into our lives. Listen, when we lose our focus, what are you fixated on today? Where's your focus? Sometimes when my wife and I, and it just happened again last night, I was trying to be a good husband. And so at 6.37 last night, I said, do you want to go to Ross and TJ Maxx? And listen, I don't, I'd just soon stay at home. But I wanted to be a good husband and spend time with my wife. I enjoy doing that. And so for two hours, we went, and, and to get there, we had to get on the highway. And I'm telling you, my wife has claw marks in the armrest in the car. Not because of the other people's driving, but because of my driving. Paul, look how! You know, and I'm like, I see them, I see them. They were coming into our lane, you know. And I'm, you know, my focus is different than her focus. And I have to keep reminding her, I'm sitting behind the steering wheel. I'm driving this car, you know. There's been a few times where I've wanted to say, would you like me to pull over and you drive? No, no, that's okay, you know. But listen, focus. Focus is so important in our lives because watch this. We can easily, as many have, have a a glancing away. A glancing away. Now listen, I'm not talking about turning and going another direction. I'm just talking about a glancing away. Have you ever noticed how bad, and listen, I, I kid around about it, but my wife's absolutely true. People here drive awful, Lenny. Awful. I mean, this is probably one of the worst places I've ever lived in my life. People just, they're in the fast lane on a four-lane highway, and they turn their blinker on not to get in the next lane, but to go all the way across all four lanes. And all you have to do is just glance away for a moment. You know, listen, many times I know what my wife is saying is justified because of the way people drive around here. But it's just a simple glancing away at what? At what is moving around us. Listen, you think about all the changes, all the things that are moving. You even think about church and Bible Christianity and how people used to, listen, churches used to have Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. They used to have Sunday school. Listen, I know a lot of pastors. These are friends of mine that only preach one message a week. I'm thinking, what do you do the rest of the week? Do you go golfing? Do, do, you, do you go, they go to every fellowship meeting there is, and don't listen, don't, I'm not knocking them. It'd be nice to go to all of them, but God called me to pastor a church. Not to preach one little Twinkie message on Sunday and spend the rest of the week doing whatever I want to do. Listen, it's important that we understand that that the church ought to be a place where people can come and get fed by the Word of God. But what's happened is we've got all these professional pastors that are working on their doctorates and that they're working on this and they're reading these books. Hey, when's the last time they rolled up their sleeves and helped the people of God and preached the Word of God and studied the Word of God? There's There's a glancing away of things that are moving around. Look, the Bible tells us looking unto Jesus. Why? He's the author. He's the finisher. Look, if I want an example in my life, I want to look to Jesus. God and His Word are the landmarks that should never be removed from our lives. But the devil knows, watch this, that your focus determines your footsteps. The devil knows that. And his goal is to get you to look somewhere else, even if it's just for a moment. That's what the devil loves to do. Look what Jesus said in Luke 9, 62. No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. You put your hand to the plow, listen, keep your eyes straight ahead. Keep your eyes on the prize, as Paul said. Don't look back. Hey, I'm going to tell you something. 
the children of Israel, they made the comment about when, when things got a little bit tough, they, they, they made a, a very bad comment about almost like how good they had it in Egypt. Really? Under the taskmasters? And then they took away the straw, made it even harder. I don't know about you, but I've been saved 37 years. There's nothing back there that I'm interested in going back to. Jesus said, look, don't glance away. You think about it, it just takes a quick look. That quick look away. Sometimes I'll, when I'm on the highway or I'm on the road, sometimes I'll, I'll look in the mirror and, you know, listen, I get it. We even have those little things on our car that when somebody's next to you, this little light's on. You know, and, and that's nice. But there's been a few times where people were in our blind spot and the little light wasn't on. And I start to move and then all of a sudden, where'd that little car come from? Or here comes a car that's flying like 70 miles an hour in a 40. Comes right up in there and just a, a quick look is something that if we look away even for a moment, our lives can become crooked. If you don't believe me, look at this verse that probably many of you memorized years ago, Luke 17, 32. Remember who? Lot's wife. Where was Lot living? Come on, talk to me. Sodom and Gomorrah. Was it a good place? But undoubtedly, there was something there that Lot and his family, they, they wanted to hang around. They, they wanted to, I mean, this, this man uh, was a, a prominent man there. His, his own son-in-laws laughed at him. And when they're finally instructed and God in his mercy delivered them, his wife undoubtedly thought, well, listen, I, I just want one last look. What happened to her? Turned into a big salt shaker, didn't she? Why? Because she looked back. You see the danger of looking back? If the devil can get us to look, then here's what happens. He knows that if we look, our feet are going to follow. He knows that. Here's, here's some in the Bible. If you, some of you may or may not get what I'm saying tonight, but here's some in the Bible that were destroyed by a look. All right, Let's look at a few of these biblical examples tonight. Genesis 3 and verse 6. When the woman saw, she looked. She saw the tree that was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. Now, do you remember the story? God says you can have anything you want in this garden except what's on that tree in the midst of the garden. And that's human nature. We want what we can't have. And they were destroyed by a look. Now, you say, destroyed how? Well, they didn't die physically that day, but they died spiritually. They were cast out of the garden. You know, it's, it's Adam and Eve's fault that we're wearing clothes. Just think about that. Now, look at another person, Joshua 7. Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. He had that right. And thus and thus have I done when I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonish garment and 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels weight. Then I coveted them and took them, and behold, they are hid in the earth in the midst of my tent and the silver under it. All that happened when he saw. He looked away, glanced away. What did God tell them when they were going to go into Ai? Don't take anything. Excuse me, Jericho. God told them, don't take anything. That's why when they went to take Ai, they were beaten at Ai the first time they went because of the sin of looking away, glancing away. Here's another one. Look at Judges chapter 14. You probably know this one. Samson went down to Timnath and saw a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. That's not God's people. And he came up, and he told his father and his mother and said, I have seen a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me to wife. 
Shame on Samson's parents. They should have never gave in. But Samson glanced away. Instead of listening to what God said, he decided he was going to take his focus off what he should have, and his footsteps followed. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 2. came to pass in an eventide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house, and from the roof he saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. You know, what David was supposed to be, kings were still leading into battle in that day. David tarried by the stuff. He stayed home, and he saw it all began. Look, each one of these downfalls started with a look that led to lust that then led to a leap. That is the progression of sin. It was a big leap away from God. That's what Achan said, and he had it right. And the question tonight is, Have you moved away from God? Or maybe you should say it this way, are you in the process? Say, well, pastor, I'm here tonight. It's Sunday night. It's Super Bowl Sunday. Yes, it is. But you know, there's some people that are not here tonight that were here last week, that were here last year. And the reason they're not here is because they glanced away. Not only do we see a glancing away, but we see a gradual acceptance. Now listen, it's not an immediate acceptance. It's not an overwhelming, hey, look, I want that. It's something that is gradually done. What does the Bible instruct us? Our verse for the year in another passage in the book of Ephesians, we are commanded to stand. Look at the Bible says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. By the way, I really believe that's the day we're living in, that we need to stand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. Look, we, we God has given us specific instructions, but yet we see many times there is a gradual acceptance of what is going on around us, the moving and the changing. Some of these movements, many times, they're undetectable because they are gradual. To the average eye, to the average Christian even, they don't see them. Why? Because many times we are not discerning. I've known Christians even recently that have gone and listened to to people that, that are preaching that believe something totally different about the Word of God. Folks, look, if, if I'm going to listen to some preaching and it doesn't line up with the Word of God, then whoever that is, I'm not going to listen to the preacher. I want to listen to somebody that is preaching the pure, unadulterated Word of God. But yet many, many Christians gradually begin to accept things. Some even say that their motives why they're doing it, drive them to use methods that are unbiblical. Some of you maybe have heard this statement, the end justifies the means. That's called pragmatism. This is a dangerous thing, you know, because again, there's this acceptance of what is not biblical. Now, some of you, I'll, I'll say a name here, and uh, look, I didn't come here to slam anybody, but there's nothing wrong with naming names if they need to be named. But the reason that I'm going to use this is it's a true account, but it's, it's, it's something that is probably meant more as an example tonight. Years ago, there was a well-known preacher, he's passed on at the age of 88 years ago, but he was very sought out, many people, and maybe even some here tonight, 
used to listen to his preaching. He preached on prophecy all the time. His name was Dr. Jack Van Impey. Dr. Jack Van Impey was a Bible-believing preacher. They say that he held citywide crusades. Listen to this. They estimate between 1948 and 1980, more than 10 million people attended his crusades and over 500,000, they say that is a safe estimate, over 500,000 made professions of faith in Christ at his crusades. Van Impey could have, he could quote over 10,000 Bible verses with the references. But his biblical position on separation from false teachers, disobedient brethren, and uh, the world radically changed in the 1980s. He took a non-separatist, compromising, new evangelical position rather than a fundamental position on a TV program in July of July 23rd, 1995, here's what he said on that program, and I quote, 10 years ago, when I started my quest for unity, buzzword, he says, I lost all my support. The churches cut me off. Can you say red flag? He says, I faced bankruptcy, but God brought us back. I'm willing to pay any price, any price, even if I have to go off the air again to take this stand that I'm going to take today of my love for my brothers and sisters in the Catholic and all different Protestant churches if we take a stand for Christ, which the majority of churches do. I don't know if you just heard the danger in that statement that I just read. Because we have never been Protestants. You see, Protestants are people that protested against and came out of the Catholic Church. Study the Reformation. We, as Bible-believing Christians, were never part of the Catholic Church. Our movement as Bible-believing Christians, I'm not talking Baptists, began with the Lord Jesus Christ. We are not a part of man-made religion. You study all the religions that man has started, they have started with a person, whether it's a man or a woman, and they did not start and they are not founded upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But you see this man, Jack Van Impey, and he stated, listen to this, as he continued, Christian, and by the way, they use these words just interchangeably, Christian unity will not become a reality until all churches accept the authority Christ entrusted to St. Peter and his successors. Unity in Christ is based on following his will. This unity will not be fully manifested until all Christians accept Christ's will for the church. Which church? He doesn't say. And the acknowledgement of the apostolic authority of the bishops in communion with the successor of Peter. He goes on to say, the church is also Catholic. And then he has in parentheses, universal, which is what the word Catholic means. Although its universal dimension must be constantly strengthened through missionary activity, adaptation to various cultures, and an ecumenical outreach to other Christians, the church's structure of authority and service based on Christ's mandate to Peter and to the other apostles is an essential part of fidelity to Christ's will. And to that I say hogwash. That is not Bible, folks. God did not, listen, he said, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. You see, this man, and again, I'm not here tonight to slam him. I really believe he's in heaven tonight. But once a true prophet 
a true preacher of the gospel, through error, became a false teacher, a deceiver of many. You see, you think about this, we, as Christians today, we need a fixed position. But what happens? We glance away, we gradually begin to accept things, and then notice this, and I've already alluded to it, there's sometimes a grievous affiliation. Some today are not where they used to be. They've moved. Now listen, if they have moved, then here's what they've tried to do. They've tried to, uh, using a different version or changing some of their doctrine, they try to justify their move. Well, listen, if God's word is forever settled and God is the same yesterday and to, to, today and forever, then listen, let me ask you tonight, who has changed? It is not God and it is not God's word. But yet many people will follow them. And I see this grievous affiliation. The word grievous means heavy. No doubt today, times and ministries have changed. Even listen to this, and I know some of us that have been along, alive longer than others, American higher education actually rests upon the foundation of biblical Christianity. American higher education. By the way, I really believe all of American education, even that of grade school. You know, the number one textbook years ago in the public school system was the primer that was based on the Word of God. It's amazing how they want to just take, they want to change history and remove things. Even most of the colleges in the United States were founded as Bible-proclaiming colleges. Now look at that. I don't know if you can read that on the top. That's the marker in stone up on top of one of the buildings. It says, what is man that thou art mindful of him? Where do you think they got that from? The Bible. And look at this. American universities were founded. This isn't something I came up with. I didn't create that slide. Notice the schools. Harvard, Princeton, Yale, Dartmouth. Most people have no idea. If our nation was founded upon biblical principles, then the educational institutions were also founded upon biblical principles. But you look at so many today. Harvard and Yale were originally Puritan schools. Princeton, Columbia, Brown, Dartmouth, and Cornell once had deep links to Christianity. Once Christians begin adopting, and they have, a naturalistic view, which, by the way, that naturalistic view includes devolution. We did not come from monkeys, folks. We were created in the image and likeness of Almighty God. But see, when, when Christians begin adopting a naturalistic view, then it doesn't take long for the rest of their faith to just come crumbling down. Many today are placing burdens on Bible-believing Christians. The Bible says, Jesus said it himself, they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be born, and they lay them, those burdens, on men's shoulders, and they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. Listen, they want to overload. They want to burden people down. They don't want people to live for the Lord. But notice what Jesus said in Matthew 11, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's amazing when you look at the words of Jesus. But listen, folks, tonight, here's, here's the answer. The Old Testament prophet Amos said, can two walk together except they be agreed? Who are we supposed to be fellowshipping with? Listen, I'm not talking about we just want to be exclusive. We haven't arrived, but I'll tell you what has, God's word. God's word hasn't changed. If somebody doesn't believe in the doctrines of the word of God, then listen, I really am not interested in holding hands with them. I'm not interested in having them preach behind this pulpit in this church. 
Listen, that to me, you know what that is? That's just like we might as well put poison in the water here at church if we're going to have somebody come in here and teach and preach doctrines that are unbiblical. But a lot of churches, even some of my friends, are starting to preach for people that they would have never preached for before. They're starting to have some of those people into their church. And just because they're doing that, they're saying to their people, hey, I'm okay with him, and he's okay with me. See, obedience to the Word of God, it's the only basis for our fellowship. I'm not being hateful tonight, I'm just being truthful. I want to be a friend to everyone, but when it comes to fellowship, read what John wrote in 1 John. He said, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. You see, if we're going to have fellowship, that fellowship needs to be based on the Word of God. That we agree, as Amos said. Many today have given up on uh, the Bible as their starting point. They've accepted, sadly, science instead of the Word of God. We are, the Bible instructs us to be a peculiar people. You know what that word means? It means that we should be distinctly different. Different from the world. But you know what? We're not going to be different if we don't have a fixed position. And you know what our fixed position is? The Word of God. Solomon told his son, he says, listen, attend unto my words. Listen to my words. Put, you, put my words in your heart. God's Word is a lamp under our feet. It's a light unto our path. So what do we need? We need a focused priority. See, it all boils down to how you think. That's what it boils down to. Scripture must control our thinking. What you do with the truth will determine what you do with error. Let me say that again. What you do with the truth is what you will do with error. So very important. Now look what Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16. And many of you probably know at least one of these verses by heart. But all scripture is given by inspiration of who? God. How much scripture? All. And notice it is profitable. Remember this morning there were seven men that were chosen in Acts chapter 6 to be deacons, to be servers, to be a waiter of tables, to take care of the needs. Remember how I told you that sometimes the Bible will give you a list, but then it will say something before that list that pertains to the entire list? Well, here's another one of those tonight. Look at it. It says, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Notice, and all Scripture is profitable for doctrine. All Scripture is profitable for reproof. All Scripture is profitable for correction. All Scripture is profitable for instruction in righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be perfect or mature, truly furnished unto all good works. Now look at this. If we're going to have a focused priority then we need to make sure that we have a truth that stands the test. Because I guarantee you, most of you that are of any age at all, you probably in your Christian life, young or old, you probably have already been tested. Your faith has been tested. And if it hasn't been, you mark it down, it will be tested. But I'll tell you what, listen. The truth doesn't change. So what's going to happen when your faith is put to the test? Because your faith should be based on the truth. You see, when we build our lives on the shifting sand and the storms come, the wind blows, the house falls. But we build our lives on that which is solid, on the Lord Jesus Christ, and the same storms come. And guess what? We still stand. See, we need a truth that stands the test of time. Again, look at 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. God's word is profitable for doctrine. What is that? Doctrine is what is right. Let me say that again. Doctrine is what is right. 
Notice God's word is profitable for reproof. What is, what is reproof? Reproof is what is wrong. Now notice the next one. God's word is profitable for correction. Okay, well watch this. If we've done something wrong, correction is how to get right. See, the whole idea of correction. When my kids were doing something they shouldn't do, I corrected them so that they would do what was right. God's Word helps us to know what is right, what is wrong, how to get what is wrong right. And then watch this. It's profitable for instruction in righteousness. You know what that is? That's how to stay right. Not only get right, but stay right. And it's so important that we stay right. Well, how are you going to stay right? You're going to stay right if you stay close to the Scriptures. Well, again, how do we do that? Where can you and I, in this day that we're living in, where so much is changing, where can we get the wisdom to know what to do when the times are changing? Well, if you go back one chapter, notice what Paul says in 2 Timothy 2.15. Here's what we need to do. Study to show thyself approved unto who? Yeah, I'm not here to prove anything to anyone. The only person that matters is what he thinks. So I'm going to study to show myself approved unto God. Look at a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. And here's a key. Rightly dividing what? The word of truth. Do you know what it means to rightly divide the word of truth? You ever have somebody that quickly cut the cake and you look at it and it looks like they used a chainsaw? They didn't cut it straight. And listen, if you're not going to cut the word of God straight, then guess what? You're not going to understand what God is saying there. That's where many, listen, many today are taking verses, portions of God's Word out of context. Let me, let me give you a simple principle tonight. It might be a help to you. A lot of times people ask me questions, and I, I'm, I'm fine when people do. People ask Brother Bill. They think Brother Flynn is Bible man. You know, and he knows a lot of scripture. But do you know that most of the time, the answer that you need is not from someone else, it's from the Bible. And here's a principle I want to give you. The next time you have a question about something, whatever it is, whatever verse it is, where you saw whatever it was that brought that question, here's what I want you to do. I want you to look at what God said right before that. And look at what God said right after that. Because many times, watch this, it's going to put what you read, what you have a question about, in context. Because many times what we do is, watch this, here, here's what the cults, y'all understand the word cults? Here's what the religious cults do. They take one verse and they lift it out of the scriptures. And they build an entire false doctrine on that one verse. But watch this, you take that verse and you put it right back where God put it, and then you look at what's around it, and it doesn't mean anything. For instance, there, there are people today that believe that you have to speak in tongues. But I'm going to tell you something, if I had the time tonight, I could destroy anything that anyone would want to say about speaking in tongues. Uh, people, you know, uh, Jack Van Impey's statement about, about apostolic succession. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. That ended when the last apostle passed off the scene. There is no such thing as apostolic succession. There's no new prophecy today. The Mormon church teaches that. There are so many things that are false. Evil men and seducers are waxing worse and worse. And the devil is trying his best to confuse us, to take our focus off of the truth. Why? Because he knows our footsteps are going to follow our focus. So we need a truth, a truth that will stand the test. You look at these institutions and how much they've changed. You see, not only do we need a truth that stands the test, but we need a thinking 
watch this, a thinking that stands the temptations. Wow. Do you know so many of us get in trouble because of what we think? I get so weary sometimes of people wanting to give me their opinion. I would have said, I'll be nice, I'll be kind, but I'll be honest with you, I'm not interested in your opinion. I'm interested in the truth. I'm interested in the Word of God. You know, that's the problem, and and some of you, uh, listen, you ought to pray. I know we've got a few in here tonight that are going to college right now, going to secular universities, and I've talked to some of them, some of their parents, and you ought to pray for young people today that are in these these secular universities and colleges today because of these ungodly professors that are trying to badger and trying to twist and trying to, to, to basically get our young people, Christian young people, to, to, dis, to look away, to glance away from the truth, to change what they believe. Listen, we need to be praying for them because it all starts with this thinking. The, the mind is a powerful thing. There are many distractions that will take our direction away from the truth. Can I say tonight that God is not looking for blenders? What God is looking for tonight is defenders of His inerrant, inspired, infallible, and preserved Word. God wants us to defend His Word. Well, if we're going to do that, guess what? We're going to have to think differently. Well, how do we do that? Joshua had a great way to do that, and notice Joshua chapter 1 and verse number 8, this book of the law, God's word, shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according, notice, not to some, but to all that is written therein, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good Success. Do you know that's the only place in the Bible the word success is used? And it's not in reference to a unbiblical, ungodly uh, teaching by Mr. Joel Osteen where there is such a thing as the prosperity gospel. Listen, you want God to bless your life, to prosper your life, keep your nose in the book. Read God's Word. Meditate on it. Think about it. Chew on it. And God says, for therein... Thou shalt make thy way prosperous. Look, the laws of our nation are based on the biblical standard of morality. And there's no doubt that that has changed. And today, many reject the idea that there is even such a thing as what is known as right and wrong. Because of of man's thinking, the moral framework of our society has been broken down. We've seen sinful behavior that once was done only in secret is now paraded in the streets as acceptable. I mean, we have entire parades, cities that shut down, where years ago cities were shut down by the preaching of men by the name of Billy Sunday and others that preached against the booze industry. But today we don't preach on sin. Why? Because the Bible says again, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. As the world becomes more openly wicked, and it has, flaunting their evil conduct, it's important, more important than ever that we take a firm and unwavering stand for the truth. The things that were wrong before, guess what? They're still wrong today. There's no doubt about it. But I know this is true. There's no changing in our God. And there's no changing in His law. And we are to stand for truth even when those around us are celebrating evil. Two words that popped into my mind. And here it is. We need to be sober and we need to be vigilant. Because you can see who's watching. The devil wants to devour you. To take you out. And listen, we are prey. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. But greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. Let's bow our heads tonight. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be discerning about how change begins. Lord, tonight it was just kind of a pastor sharing his heart. 
There's so many things that could have been said. Lord, I pray that what was said was received with the right spirit. I pray that it was given. My heart was to give it with the right spirit, the right attitude. Lord, I know that you have instructed me to be a watchman. Lord, I'm concerned about our church, our people, their associations. I can't live their lives for them. But I know that you've given us your word. God, we have you and your word, and we know that those change not. But Lord, we're the ones that move. And tonight, before we leave, maybe we'll just spend a moment with you. Maybe it might be that some would come to you tonight and admit that maybe they have been glancing away. They haven't necessarily gone that way, but they're glancing away. Some have gradually accepted some things that they would have never accepted before. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to get back to the truth, that our focus would be where it needs to be, looking unto Jesus. Bless the invitation tonight, in Jesus' name. Would you stand tonight with our heads bowed? The piano's playing. Brother Kenny will be singing a song here in a moment. Why don't you come? The invitation's open tonight. Listen, if nothing else, no one's going to judge anyone tonight, but maybe just come and pray and say, Lord, help me to stay focused. Keep my eyes on the truth. Some of you might have someone that you might want to come and pray for that's got caught up in this. Again, listen, folks, we have not arrived. I needed this tonight. God has spoken to me tonight. If he's spoken to you, why don't you come? Bring a friend, family member. Bring your children tonight. Whatever it is, come and spend some time with the Lord as Brother Kenny sings.